You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome to the Sacred Collective, where we have honest conversation and no judgment. Discuss theology and current events in an open and thoughtful setting. Say things that you are too afraid to say in church. We welcome your beliefs. We welcome your ideas. Join us. Find us online at ScreamingPods.com, on iTunes at The Sacred Collective, on Twitter, Sacred underscore MN, and on Facebook, Sacred Collective Twin Cities. Here we go. Welcome to The Sacred Collective. This is June 28th. Um, We're going to start roll call. It's a smaller group today, but whatever. I'm Brian. I'm Caleb. I'm Kayleen. I'm Amanda. And we want to shout out our listeners. We just did some stats uh, looking at who all is checking us out, and we have some international listeners. So starting at home, we've got uh, about 250 in the U.S. Thank you, guys. Go U.S. U.S.A. Uh, we've got 100 listeners in Canada. Which is awesome. They speak our language, Thank so you. that's good. Um, not, not all of them. Not all, not all of them. Some Francophiles, not the, yeah. Not in the French part. Yep. Um, we've got uh, 10 Australian listeners. Good eye, mate. Okay. Um. That's, not, that's not a knife. This is a knife. This is a knife. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's that, we just lost all and 10 listeners. Sorry. They're gone now. We offended them. Don't, uh, don't stop listening, Australia. Yeah. How are you going? Um, we have four UK listeners. Woohoo! Oh, UK. I love yeah. your country. I love UK. Yep. Awesome. The motherland. Uh, we have a single listener from Finland. By the way, I, I love, don't know how to say hello in, in... I love Finland. I'm, I'm part Finnish. It's awesome. Very good. So thank you to that one listener in Finland. We hope that you will tweet at us uh-huh, at yeah. sacred underscore MN or, you know go on to our page or something we want to know who you are so mm-hmm. we can connect with you because there's all one of you yep and we also so, have a single uh, Mexicano. we have a single Mexican listener as well yes oh. we have one yeah. from Mexico so, too so yeah thank you so much for supporting us please recommend us to your friends and if you have just five seconds rate and review us on iTunes I know you hear that all the time if you listen to podcasts but it really really does help it's a new medium and that, that really helps us with our popularity and ratings and the support that we get. So thank you guys. And we also, we started a few weeks ago at Patreon. Yep. And if you go to patreon.com slash the sacred collective, is that correct? That's right, yep. The sacred collective, you'll see that there's different tiers um, from as low as a dollar a month all the way up to $10 a month. And you'll go on there and you can see that you can send us a question in that you'll want us to talk about. Yep. For that that whole uh, time that we're talking, and then you could even be a guest host or just call in to talk a little bit. So that does help. Um, we don't have any patr- uh, patrons yet, but you know if we can start getting some, that really helps us out. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, let's jump into this. We're going to talk today about death and grief. Oh, just kidding. I got a hold of my or too oh, yeah. too fast. Um, so we're I should stop clapping. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to do a shot of Jameson. We need some Irish um, some Irish listeners. Yeah, that's why we're doing this. Uh, that's why we're doing it. We want some Irish drinkers, <laughs> Pete Rollins, and thinkers. And I'm just going to stop talking. So we're going to do some Jameson. 
everyone's doing the Jameson, so I'm excited. Uh, so here we go. Let's do this. Here we go. No Cheers. 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 Clink, clink. Oh, that's smooth. That's nice. Ooh. That is really smooth. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Good stuff. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, I had a beer chaser. Good. Ready to rock. So, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then Kayleen actually is going to lead part of the discussion, which I've asked her to help out, dealing with grief, because if I can say this, you did schooling in pastoral care, mm-hmm. and you are a chaplain, mm-hmm. um, trained to do that. So, if you can tell just either some about some of your experience as being a chaplain and doing pastoral care, or just some... Uh, quick pointers at what people can do, even if we're not ministers or pastors. There's a lot of people can do. Yeah, so. or even not even non-religious things that you can mm-hmm. point people to, saying that you can help out. So, the first question is, what do we personally think about death? Hmm. I know it's a big meaning. question, That's but a big one. so I and I put kind of like a sub question is, meaning when I say that, is there an afterlife? Okay. Are we buried in the ground? Like, what's our concept? Of death, like personally, what what do we think oh, that's a good about death? Like, mm. what's going to happen? It really depends on what you think, like, because you could go in a lot of different ways. Because you could, you know, there's that whole idea that you know our souls are just asleep after we die, and then you know, if you go with the whole way with Jesus coming back, then people are going to raise, you know, that whole concept. Or there's, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways that we could go with that. So it's 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 tough to pinpoint yeah. just down to one thing. Do you? Have I any? I don't I I honestly don't. You know I should think about it more than I do. But I guess I've been so focused on helping people after people die that I don't mm. always like, yeah. that I don't always go for the go for the what happened to them unless mm. they unless they brought it up to me then I would of course talk to them about that but it really depends you know it depends on if you think that you're going to a better place or not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know i can i say something maybe to yeah. kind of steer just a little yeah. bit Go for it. and i know that my perspective is, is you know very very much kind of a pigeonholed to coming out of you know a very conservative background and stuff but to me i've found it freeing personally to not cling to What's going to happen? What's going to happen? I, I find it, um, and this may maybe sound a little, a little humanist almost, but like I find it useful to not obsess over, am I saved? Are they saved? Are they, where are they going to go when they die? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And then I can focus more on the now and the here mm-hmm. and on you know loving people and, and, and you know mm-hmm. being in the moment. But at the same time, on the other end of that, I think it's, it is useful as a concept. If, if it's something you're going to harp on, and you, you can't. You're gonna lose sleep over it. I think it is useful to to say, oh well, they're in a better place now. If if, if that's a big question to you, but I don't think it has to be a big question. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I never said anything like that unless the families were saying it, mm-hmm. and that seemed like the language that they were using to how they were understanding it. Then I would go with that. But otherwise, I never said anything. That's good. Because mm-hmm. what you say when people are. In when people are grieving and what you say matters Mm -hmm. it impacts people it can hurt people or it can make them feel better so you have to be careful how you Mm -hmm. how you respond because your beliefs about death impact how you respond Mm -hmm. 
their beliefs about death, how they impact how they're responding to the death, their relationships with all of the people, you know, whatever happens to be happening, it impacts things. And I have people telling me, oh, this person said this and it was awful, or this person said this and it was great. You know, like, I don't know. We've all had those moments where when somebody in our family or somebody that we're close to died and then somebody said something and they tried to comfort us and it went horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Right. And they were trying to be well-meaning on what they said, but of course. it was not taken that way. Yeah, and, <laughs> and some of those things come out of people's beliefs about where people go when they die. That's where some of those same, one, some of those things come out of. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Brian? Oh, you're putting me on a spot right I now. I know. I'm so terrible. Um, I kind of agree with... Well, not kind of. I do agree with Caleb. And I grew up in a tradition. And we kind of grew up way more conservative than probably most. Mm-hmm. But in at least the tradition I grew up in, in the Assemblies of God, they did really stress you know, afterlife, that when you die, you automatically go and see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is really no scriptural evidence for when you die, you go to heaven right away. Uh, and, and I've come to the theological understanding that I, I think it's just escapism, mm-hmm. that people just mm-hmm. get so, you know, this, we go through our trials and tribulations, our ups and downs, um, you know, we see someone die of cancer. We see, you know, like when my, excuse me, when my dad passed away, everyone was like, oh, he's in heaven right away. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging out with God. But if you look in scripture, it doesn't say that that's going to happen. Where I think we've talked about when we talk about hell, you know, a Sheol, a soul slumber, I think that's more accurate. However, growing up when I dealt with the understanding of death, and what happens I actually it scared me mm-hmm. because I was like why should I be focusing on the next life or the life after this one and not even be here at present being here right. I was mm-hmm. just saying to Amanda the other day we, I forget where we were coming back from and I was like it just bothers me when people you know, get so busy with just life, whether, you know, everyone works, you know, we have a kid, but so often we just forget to be here in the present, just to be in the now, just to celebrate, you know, life. Like, mm-hmm. I love it when a man and I and Ava can walk around the lake together and just talk, or we just have a meal together, not thinking about work, not thinking about, you know, when rents do, what we have to rush off and do after that. And and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I feel like in in our society and especially as Christians, we are always like, you know, this life is okay, but let's go on into the next life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel that people, we talk about, we don't, I think so many people talk about death because we're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And, and also people don't talk about it because they're afraid of it. So there's it's still that, that great unknown. Yeah, there's that dualism. There, there's certain people, certain Christians who talk about it all the time mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, this world's so crappy that I want to get to heaven right away. And that's their concept is I die and as soon as I die, my spirit's going to go up and be with God. And other people don't want to talk about it because they're scared shitless mm-hmm. of actually what is going to happen mm-hmm. with them. And I guess I'll take more... Of an agnostic approach, meaning agnostic just means something's going to happen when we die. I just don't know what it is, and I frankly really don't care. Mm -hmm. Because 
by me thinking about that so deep, it's taking away time from me just being me and just experiencing this present moment Mm -hmm. and being present with my family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of long-winded. Well, and death used to be much more prevalent. People used to talk about death. Mm-hmm. All the time, people just sit, sit in people's houses with with oh, with yeah. their loved ones for like all night. I mean, Jewish people still do that. I, mm. I one of my the guys that I did my residency with that was he would sit with people overnight, you know, because that was their way of help. You know, is it's part of their culture, is part of their religion, it's part of everything. Mm-hmm. And people used to do that. Death used to be a part of everything, and now it's much more removed. Mm-hmm. From our society, nobody talks about it because everybody's scared of it. So, yeah. but it used to be a part of life. It's almost it one of those is, things but... that if you don't talk about something, then you can kind of avoid it for a while. Which mm-hmm. talking about it or not talking about it, you're not going to avoid when you die. I yeah. mean, I tell Brian all the time. Hopefully, when him and I pass, we're in our you know we're you know 105 years old <laughs> and we die peacefully in our sleep together at the same time and it's just you know something like that but you don't know if it's going to be you know in half an hour or if it's going to be in 50 years and it's one of those things yeah you can still talk about it but to understand more things about death we can we can look and you can research the dying process of the human body and you know all the things that go on within your body but anything you know spiritual your soul like what happens after what happens after you die if anything does happen there's no way that we can study that Mm -hmm. and there's no way a person could spend their whole life dedicated to what happens to the human body and all aspects as they die but they aren't going to understand any more about their own mortality Mm -hmm. specifically about when they're going to die and you know it's one of those things that i think another thing i don't know if it's as much that people, you know, are afraid to die and they don't want to talk about it or they're afraid of the loved ones are going to leave behind because as far as we know, when you die, it's it's your loved ones that are hurting. It's your loved ones that have to go through that grieving process where mm-hmm. part of you that was in their life is essentially dying where they're going through a part of them that's dying as well, but it's different than, mm-hmm. you know, the person who who did die. And yeah, it, it's just something that you can't, you can research all your life and you can't understand it anymore. And mm-hmm. and it's, it's scary and it's uncomfortable to not be able to have all the answers, especially now when we have answers for everything. I mean, you can go online and I don't know how they do this with cameras, but... You can find where they have pictures of a baby still in the womb at like, you know, 20 weeks or eight weeks or whatever. And you can see and you can, when I was pregnant with Ava, there's all these things of, oh, at this many weeks in the womb, a baby starts dreaming. I don't even know how they figure that stuff out or what they're dreaming about, (laughs) but somehow someone studied all that. But we can't know about all that stuff with death. It's crazy. It is crazy. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, that kind of begs the question, like, if there's nothing before life, then kind of logically, there's, I don't know, in my mind, there might not be anything after death. Right. Like, what's the difference? Like, is it like once you're born into existence, then 
you always exist from that point forward or you've always existed before that point and you will always like and like is your soul just created yeah whether you want to believe at the moment of conception at the moment of birth however a person wants to believe that or mm-hmm. was it something that your soul was around you know before right and it's so it's just like this continuous loop i mean mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole nother deep deep yeah. conversation it's fun <laughs> to think about yeah and i don't want to deflate the conversation but to me it's like I don't care, man. Like, how, right. how, how am I ever going to know until I'm there? Well, right. And, I mean, and I don't think it's deflating, but I think all of us in this room grew up in Christianity in some sort of capacity. And I do think in most Christian traditions, whether you're liberal, conservative, fundamentalist, they, they do talk about the afterlife mm-hmm. in some sort of capacity. They might stress it different ways. Excuse me. Um, that's going to be on the podcast, my, my belch. Excuse We're real me. here. It's real and wrong. We're real and wrong with belches. I apologize. Amos was around. Yeah. <laughs> and we totally just, just derailed it. We just totally derailed it. If you listen back to our last episode, episode on Prophecy, you'll, uh, you'll get what we're talking about. The little Easter egg there. The Easter egg, Yes. <laughs> Where was I even going with this? Thanks, thanks, Amos. Sorry, I was being so good. You were talking about grief, and you were talking about being raised in an evangelical environment. And if you're liberal or conservative, you still death is oh yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you. Good job. Um, I've also had a couple of drinks, so I'm not thinking on all cylinders. (laughs) You derail people all the time. But I I do think that death. It, it's something that we need to talk about because I'm going to lead into my next question here in a second. But I do I agree with Caleb also because it's it's how do we know, we talk about death we talk about the afterlife because I tell people all the time the two things that are constant for any human being on this planet doesn't matter if you're rich young poor black white whatever we all are born and we're all going to die. That's a constant. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what's going to happen. Hmm. And when someone is born, we celebrate, we're excited. Like, when our daughter Abel was born, I mean, we're tears of joy and excitement and and just so much pleasure and this awesomeness. But then when someone passes away, we are so devastated. And those emotions are good. Like, we don't ever want anyone to pass away. But the thing that just keeps playing in my head is I'm like, this is part of life. This is... This is like nature. This is like a life cycle that happens. And we always think in our mind, oh, well, I'm a human being. I'm going to live until like I'm 60, 70, 80. Well, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can live till you're three. You could live till you're 103. It's just, to me, it's just chance. Because I know people who are like, if you smoke and you do this. Well, you know, my grandpa died at 88 and he started smoking when he was eight. Mm-hmm. He was eight. And emphysema or lung cancer didn't kill him. He had a hole in his lung that happened when he fell out of a chair and his rib cracked and it poked his lung. And that's what killed him, not smoking. So all that, bringing it back and going off the rail a little bit, is that death is something I do think we need to talk about, but we don't need to spend a ton of time. And I think what kind of got me thinking about this conversation is I know people who are going through... not death themselves but going through major issues in life, surgeries battling cancer family members battling sicknesses and ailments and it's like 
seeing uh, every one of these people that I know dealing with this, it, it whether they're religious or not, it's just they're mor- they're dealing with their mortality. Mm-hmm. They're like, I might be here for another twenty years. I might be here for another two weeks. I don't know. So I thought it would be important because even kind of us as a sacred collective or the people who listen, I do think we need to wrestle with our own mortality, not dwell on it, but know that, hey, you know what? We could die tomorrow or we could die 60 years from now. We don't know. So, yeah, but that kind of is going a little out there. Anything else? Anybody wants to add about this question? Well, I have, I have a question for you, actually. Like, you were starting to talk about how much you celebrate life and then death is a tragedy. Is, do you think that that's a conditioned thing? Is that a cultural thing? Or is that just like a human thing to where death is always sad and life is always celebrated? I think, to me, I think it's cultural hmm. in some ways. Because it, if you look in America, well, and I think anybody, regardless of culture or religion, Anybody who dies, it's a sad thing because... You're losing. You're losing love, someone. Yeah. yeah, you're losing a loved one. I mean, that's common. That Like, when my father passed away, I wasn't like, yeah, my dad's dead, now he's in heaven. Mm. I was oh, crying. Wow, yeah. You know, I, I was crying, and I was sad. I was beyond, you know, being consoled. But then, you know, and it's, it sucks to say, but you move on. You have to mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. You don't forget. You never forget what happened, but you move on. But I think in the American culture, and only can we can only speak from our American culture, is when you know what I sucks about American culture is they give us a few days to process that and grieve, and then they're like, okay, back to normal. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where if you look in Bible times, people like, for like people years. grieved for years, like women, especially like the wives of their husbands, they would grieve and be in like mourning for over a year, and most times at least a year. And because that was such a powerful thing, mm-hmm. and I know in a lot of countries, they don't do it like a year, but the the wives or the kids will grieve for weeks of months. But in our American culture, we don't do it because, for whatever reason, and Amanda and I, I'll just say this and I'll shut up, Amanda and I actually just watched the movie Coco, and there was so much theology in the movie Coco, that's a shameless plug, watch that movie, I cried like a baby watching that. And part of the reason I like it is because it has to do with Mexican heritage and culture, and my daughter's part Mexican. And it dealt with uh, one thing I think is really awesome is probably hacked the name up, but the ofrenda. Ofrenda, which in the Mexican culture, you put, you have like not an altar, but you have like a table or something in the corner of all like the people in your family who've passed away. And you light a candle for them, like on on Dia de los Muertos. Yes, the Day of the Dead. You make their favorite foods, and with that culture, it's in a sense that their like their soul or spirit is going to be able to like come back over to spend that one night a year Mm, with their family. But it's also, you know, a way of you know making a favorite meal that was your dad's or your grandmother's and, you know, remembering that person to still have, like, that mm. that physical tie to them. And I've even also said to Amanda, as we get older, as our daughter gets older, it would be fun to actually do that. And that's not, like, spirit worship or culture worship. I think it's respecting your elders. It's res- Most cultures do that. Like, the Native Americans, they do that. I know a lot of, uh, like, Asian cultures do that. 
But it feels like in America, and especially within American Christianity, if you said that, oh, we built this thing on the side of our, you know, house, and you know, you know, talk to our deceased loved ones, people are like, well, that's weird or cultish. Yeah, no, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's respect. I think it's you're paying homage and respect and love to your loved ones who came before you. Without mm-hmm. them, you you wouldn't be here. It's mm-hmm. also in a similar way of, say, you have a recipe for, like, a coveted recipe of, like, a, a peach pie or something of, like, your great-grandmother's at the recipe stay in the family that you make it, you know, with your kids and you tell them about when your grandmother made it with you or your mother... And you tell a story and you enjoy it together. Even something as simple as that, it's it's kind of like that same type of connection, but it's just mm. a little bit more, I don't know if formal is the right word, but something that is, you know, a certain time, a certain day every year. But, mm. you know, just something like that of it's a continuation. A yeah, a continuation of a celebration of life because you have the grief initially, and then when you have to go on with your life... Just simple things like you have to go back to work, you have to pay your bills, you have to get a haircut, you know, and get on with your life as normal. But life is not normal anymore. You have to find a way to adjust to your new normal. But, yeah, a thing with celebration of life is, as, you know, Brian said with our daughter Ava is, you know, it was, you know, an amazing day when she was born. But then after she was born, like... You know, it's sad it sank in that, you know, she's going to be meeting her grandmothers either tonight or in a couple of weeks, but she won't get to meet her grandfathers because mm-hmm. both of our dads have passed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just little things where, you know, maybe she has a certain look on her face or she acts a certain way mm-hmm. or something that we can see our dads in her. Oh. You know, or a couple of weeks ago, Brian laughs at it and... If you have not tried it, try it once. My grandmother started this, and then some of her kids did, and my dad shared this sandwich with me, a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Don't knock it until you've tried it. It, In my opinion, it has to be dill pickle. I prefer crunchy peanut butter, but we compromise in the house, and Brian gets his his creamy peanut butter. It's the best. And creamy pickles. Yeah. Oh, and peanut butter yes, it'd be creamy pickles. That would be relish. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I shared the sandwich with Ava because a couple of weeks ago would have been my dad's birthday, oh. and so she likes peanut butter a lot. She loves pickles, so I thought let's try the two of them together with her, and she loved the sandwich. And she's not going to remember, you know, the story, but I told her, you know, the story about making it. She scarfed the sandwich down. At nap time, instead of reading her a story, I grabbed uh, the little like program for my dad's funeral, and there was a long poem in there um, about when you when you lose someone, of not putting off till tomorrow, you know, calling them, giving mm. them a hug, telling them how you feel without putting it off another day. And I was bawling like the whole time, but I read her the story. And then it showed a couple of songs. I think they were hymns that were sung at the funeral, uh, you know, as a whole congregation. And then I sang her those songs, you know, before bed or before her nap time and put her down. And that was the grieving coming up again, even though it's been, you know, seven and a half years. It was the grief coming back up again. But at the same time, it was still a celebration of life. Mm. 
And so for grief, you're never going to have your grief go away. My older sister described it this way as instead of it being a wound that, you know, is going to heal up, it's like a bruise where, you know, it's, you know, it hurts a lot at the beginning. After a while, you know, it's fine. But, you know, maybe you you see something, you hear a certain song that reminds you of that person, and it's like you've bumped that bruise and you can feel that pain all over again. It's just like a continually, you know, like, fresh bruise. Mm. You know, and yeah. and so, yeah, that, like, the grief doesn't go away, but I think you have to balance it out with a celebration of the life. And some people, depending on how a person passed, maybe they were sick for a really long time and they know whether there's anything after death or not that they're not in in that pain anymore maybe some people can start a celebration of life a week after maybe some people can't start celebrating someone's life for a whole decade there's no right or wrong you know how you how you grieve how you how you deal with it as long as at some point you are able to to keep going with your life wow well and i think ritual and grieving for somebody is important like what mm-hmm. you did was a ritual and it was yeah. a healing thing and it was a way to introduce your daughter to, to yeah. her grandfather to, to for her to get and to I know him and i made a him. video of it so i can show her oh, when she's mm-hmm. older and yeah. so that way she's not going to remember it she's only one but that way she can mm-hmm. you know look back and and see that well and ritual used to be a really huge part of the grieving process and people don't do it as much anymore it's not necessarily an important thing in our culture anymore, but mm-hmm. it used to be. It used to be really important. It still is because which it, is, which is it so helps funny. people find meaning. Mm-hmm. Well, what's so funny is we do ritual so often. Like church is ritual. That's all mm-hmm. a church is. If you think about it, down to the yeah. brass tacks, it's just ritual. If you call yourself a Christian, I think most people go to church every Sunday not because they always want to hear the pastor. Is they want community. They want to see and meet other people. Then their family or their co-workers and I get that but church in it itself is ritual Mm -hmm. so when we stop doing ritual things kind of like what Amanda was just saying about what she did for Ava and what she's you know showing Ava and experiencing stuff about that then that's ritual but I feel like when it comes to stuff about death and doing paying homage or saying hey this is your grandfather he's not around anymore we get scared of that because we don't want to take, we don't want to bring up, so mo- most people don't want to bring up that sadness, that emotion, so then they push it away, but I think that's something that's lacking in our culture and in our, in our own faith for people who call themselves as a Christian is that ritual of, yes, like remembering the past, remembering our ancestors and the people that came before us. You know, and when I was, when I was in the hospitals, I, um, I minister to a very large Catholic population. There's a huge Catholic population in the Milwaukee area. And for 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 them, there's a lot of ritual in, in death at the end. And, you know, from the priests coming and doing the anointing to the prayers of the dead. Mm-hmm. and Last I, rites. And-, mm-hmm. and I found that those prayers and the priests coming and all of that, sometimes it was anxiety provoking but other times when it was something it, it it could be a very healing thing to have that happen to have the words be spoken to speak those prayers to 
allow the family to be a part of it if they wanted to be a part of it. And for baptisms, too, because I did baptisms for little ones that were going to die. You know, and I would let the family be a part of it. I would have them help with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, I would let them be a part of that. Or the little kids, you know, if they had siblings or whatever. Letting people be a part of it is a really important thing. And, you know, it just... We don't do it enough. Right. Before we turn it over to you, I just have one more question that I want to ask. Dealing with death, um, not directly with death, but it was when I was coming up with some questions to kind of lead the conversation, I don't know why I just couldn't get this question out of my head, uh, but then we'll turn it over to you afterwards, is why do we as human beings try and prolong death? Like, jeez. And kind of what I said as an example doing things to make our bodies look younger. I mean, whether that's Botox, the plastic surgery. Dye your hair. Yeah, like, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not saying all those things are inherently bad, but, you know, how many people in Hollywood, men and women, who are in their, like, 50s or 60s, they don't look anything alike, or anything like they used to look like, not even, like, the same person, and they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars. And, and then I also put, like, tissue... An organ reanimation because when I was in seminary, I actually had a class called theology and science, <laughs> and one of our projects we had to do, our final like project, was to come up with like we were assigned that it was me and a couple other students, and our our assignment was dealing with like organ reanimation, mm-hmm. and where's the is there a theological issue with it, and because. And this was, the class was in like 2008 or nine, so it was almost 10 years ago. And what was happening even here at the U of M, so right down the road from us, University of Minnesota, was they were taking a pig, they were just trying it on a pig, but what they were doing was taking a pig's tissue, so, and they took a tissue from the heart to regrow a heart for the pig so that when the pig dies... And if it's, like, a heart issue-related thing, then they can just take that heart that was the pig's. They, like, regrow that heart and then put the new heart inside of its body. So it's coming from your own tissue. Mm. It's coming from your own stuff. It's like growing growing the ear. Right. And so the question that our professor posed to us was, A, is this okay theologically? Or B, are you playing God? Because when you do stuff like that, the science and the technology is amazing, and we can start doing that. But then the question that comes in is, are we, and one of the questions our our group asked was, we're just afraid to die when it comes down to it. We mm-hmm. as human beings are petrified on mm-hmm. dying. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I, I've even done research. This stuff fascinates me that, like, my daughter's generation, who's one, our, our our age, like, we're mostly millennials here, like, t- uh, beginning of the millennial generation. However, they even said we are probably going to live into our late 80s, early 90s, just with the technology that we have. I mean, whether our world's going to be intact is another story, but we have that technology. But by the time my daughter gets older, she, there's an easily that they'll be living over 100 years old. Like, oh, the 100 will be like the new 70 or the new 80 just because technology is is growing so fast and exponentially and i know that was long-winded but more or less was why do we as human beings why do we prolong the whole notion of death Mm -hmm. 
like mm. does it go back to our first thing and we're afraid of it or is it I think we're we're afraid of it but maybe let's dig deeper into that if we can we're conditioned to, to try to save life all of the time and, and a, a lot of different religious like for, for in Catholicism especially like they they will try to save life at all costs so if there's a way for somebody to stay alive on a vent, there's a way for somebody to stay alive in other ways it, at all costs. I had so many conversations with people about whether or not they could. And I would tell them, if this machine was not reading for your loved one, your loved one would be dead. Do you really want to prolong this? Is this something? Is this something that they would want? Is this something, you know? And I would have those conversations with people, and I would have to help them get to the point where they were okay with letting go. But you know, a hundred years ago, we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the vent. We didn't have feeding tubes. We didn't have artificial, you know, like we didn't have what is it? Water? Not not water, but you know, like hydrating people. We didn't have any mm-hmm. of those things. And so now, what do we do with? Yeah, IVs and all those things. We don't. We have all that stuff now. What do we do with that? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Are we prolonging life in a way that's a good thing or not? I mean, and those are very long, hard, complex, ethical, and religious questions that don't have a black and white answer. Mm-hmm. They're it's very gray. And I don't think. And I want to preface: none of us yeah. here at the Sacred Collective are saying what's right or wrong. No, for sure. But that it's just such mm-hmm. a multi-layered, multi-faceted yeah. Definitely. question. And there's no right or wrong answer, but I do think it's a question and conversation I think is important to have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would have all kinds of different conversations with people, and sometimes they chose that they wanted to let their loved ones stay on that vent. I met a, I met a woman who would, chose to stay on a vent for years because she didn't want her family to be without her. She could not leave the hospital because she was on events. If that's what you choose, that's okay. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but yeah, if you're making the choice, if you're making the choice, mm-hmm. but if other people are making the choice, it's a different story. But right. still, you know, like I don't know. We have the technology to keep people alive for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when people are on events for that long, their their body really does stop working though like the they're they're the it's not a sustainable thing mm-hmm. like we think it is it is it can be for some for some time but not for you know it, de- I don't know, it depends on all the circumstances mm-hmm. but i feel like the you know the, the playing god argument like that phrase is i don't know exactly when that surfaced but that's something that i am very familiar with like you know when i was coming up like and middle school and stuff there was the whole cloning thing surfacing mm-hmm. and it's like but but then once I got to a, and this was like even before my deconstruction this was A or no this was BD not AD this was before deconstruction not after deconstruction that's like my, <laughs> my reference point um, but the, you know this was even before I started thinking outside of the evangelical box but it was like well okay if messing with science like where's the line is there a bold line in messing with science okay if you chase that down far enough, then you get to the point where, and I'm not hating on Christian scientists, I'm just saying, you get to the point to where, uh, you know, it, it, you're playing God if you take medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when it really boils down to it, what's the difference between taking medicine, you know, giving someone an IV, keeping them on a respirator? I just feel like the... It's all intervening with it, nature. It is intervening with nature, mm-hmm. and at the same time, 
I just feel like the question should be, okay, what are the repercussions of this? Not, Mm -hmm. am I playing God? Like, Mm -hmm. if there is a God and God has a problem with what you're doing, then what you're doing is going to be taken care of. Like, you know, if, if there's like a God who's like, oh, they're getting, they're encroaching on my territory, then God's going to handle that stuff. Like, but the question of, oh, am I going to offend God in what I'm doing? I, I think that's just coming at it from the wrong angle. I think the, the angle should be, well, what's the effect? Am I prolonging their uh, their misery by keeping them alive when they want to be dead? Like, I think that's the real question, you know, or like, is this, what's going to happen if I take this medicine? Oh, maybe I'll get a little bit nauseous, but then my he- my migraine will go away. You know, like, you know, like there's, yeah. you got to be yeah, a little a, bit materialist. Yeah, and sometimes the, the nausea well, yeah, is I, not worth the migraine. Exactly, that's that's just it. It's, it's just, just it's pros and cons. You gotta, the nausea is totally not worth it, and you yeah. would rather have the migraine. Exactly, yeah. Or you would rather not. I it's mean, a it, mathematical it, question. It's, it's not right. a, a theological question. Yeah, for sure. Well, right. I don't know. Yeah, and, and, I, right. and I agree with what you're saying, Caleb, and I think when... The, I think the big differ, differentiation, though, is taking medicine. Like, I'm, you know, there's several religious sects that are against taking medicine, like Christian scientists and others. But if I have a headache, I'm going to take some Aleve because that takes mm-hmm. my headache away. If I have an upset stomach, I'm going to take some Tums because that settles the acid or whatever right. that's building up in me. I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I think the question that certain people bring up and what we brought up in that thing 10 years ago on that that project and I'm not even saying I agree with all of what I said but I do think taking medicine to help with anything from gout to a headache to a migraine is a lot different than regrowing your own tissue in 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 a box or Mm -hmm. like now that you can cryogenically freeze yourself when you die I mean it's thought hundreds of thousands of dollars and I remember we actually in our article or in our presentation talked about the baseball player Ted Williams. If you remember, Ted Williams played for the Red Sox. His his par- or his kids got in a nasty lawsuit, and what ended up the per- the kid who won had somehow the the Ted Williams body is buried, but his head they cut off his mm, head. Yeah. And it's in a cryogenic facility. The biggest cryogenic facility in America is in Arizona. And his head is frozen. And so they're saying if technology happens to go that far, whether 20 years from now or 100 years from now, that his head is still going to be there and that they can put it on some new human body or mm-hmm. android. And that's really far out there, that sci-fi stuff. But I'm, I'm bringing this stuff up with talking about death yeah. is because... I don't think anybody will say taking medicine to help, you know, a headache or feeling upset is bad. But when you start regrowing organs or trying to cryogenically freeze yourself, when not maybe not even saying playing God, but are you messing with Mother Nature and saying I giving you the middle finger, saying I don't want to die? And what's the real and reason gonna, that you're doing that? Well, yeah, and what's the real reason why you're doing that? Well, my question is, what's the what is the ethical implication of that? What's like, what's gonna happen? What is that guy gonna go to hell because he froze his head? Like, I, I, I just don't like. What's the why is I, I just don't I don't see where the line is between taking a Tylenol and freezing your head. I know that sounds absurd. I know that sounds crazy, but like, what's what? What's the bad thing that's going to happen? Okay, maybe we freeze Hitler's head 
and he's still Hitler, and we bring him back. Like, okay, there's some fallout from that. That's mm-hmm. a bad thing. But, like, what's freezing a baseball player's head, and then he comes back in, like, 50 years? Like, what, did you... You pulled him out of heaven, and now he's pissed off? And, like, what, what's... What is the fallout? Well, and I, and I think it does come down to ethically how... And, and I'm with you. I, I'm just taking more of, like, an advocate. The sure, advocate yeah, no, of course, side. yeah. I'm playing into it. And... But it, it, and that's the, that that literally that presentation we did did turn into a huge ethical because that's what it is. It comes down to bioethics. It comes down to mm-hmm. just ethics and Christian ethics, however you want to you know slice it. But yeah, I mean, some people will say, "What is the difference if I just take a medicine because I'm putting something in my body that my body doesn't you know if if I had a headache." And like a leave was in my body, I would never get a headache or I'd never get okay, aches yeah. and pains, mm-hmm. right? That's a good point. So my body would produce that. There's me- your your body has certain chemicals and stuff that it naturally produces to help you fight certain things up. So why is taking a leave okay and then cryogenically freezing your head when you're dead? I think people get, and I'm not saying for sure, I'm, it's not me. I do think people get weirded out by that. Maybe think it's wrong. For religious reasons, obviously for that, for messing with nature. We have a, we have a phone call. Sorry. Um, God, is, God, is that you? No. <laughs> it's um, me, Margaret. <laughs> with, with nature, I don't know. It, it's, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. And I, like, I think what we said, there is no right answer. But I do think that question that people do say, are you playing God, is, is kind of true and I'll just I'll be honest and talk about my family background and then should probably move on to the next question unless anybody else wants to say anything else after but with my own father when he passed away uh, 13 years ago just a couple days ago it was 13 years my dad when I was 6 years old had quadruple bypass surgery I found him on the roof when mm. I was 6 years old and he was clenching his chest oh god and he said, go call your mom. And we called the ambulance and took him in because he had 80% blockage in his heart, in his arteries. So he went, we had the surgery, he was fine. And I remember my dad having a scar from his chest right next to his heart, all the way down his belly button, all the way around like his pubes, all the way down his leg until his ankle because they ripped him open. Oh, like, Lord. When you have open heart surgery, they rip your entire body open. Wow. And, but by having that, by with that medicine, it prolonged his life another 20-some years. Mm-hmm. So if you could have cry- cryogenically frozen your dad's head and then one day they could bring him back and you could talk to him again, would the ethics then evaporate from the whole question? Like, Well, for me, yeah. Because, yeah. and, and everyone, it would, if you were put in that situation, if I could... Anybody who's lost a loved one, I shouldn't say anyone, I can't speak for anyone. I feel like most people, if they somehow could talk to mm-hmm. their dad, yeah. their mom, a grandmother, a sibling, a child, and if there was some sort of medicine, technology that could, even if it was one last time, I think most people would be like, absolutely, yeah. unequivocally, that's going to be a yes. Like drain your life savings just for that yeah, one conversation. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's a no-brainer. And I mean, if I get choked up, I do, because I miss my dad. Well, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But I do remember someone coming up to me at my dad's, I don't know if it was at the funeral or at the wake, someone I didn't even know because we lived in a condo for many years, and my dad was like the head maintenance person. 
And at the time, I was in college in Minneapolis, and I lived down there, so I wasn't at home that often. And I remember the woman came up to me and said, oh, you're Marlon's son, right? I said, yeah. And, the, you know, of course, they, you know, apologized. They felt bad. But they are like, we felt that something was wrong with Marlon. He seemed a little off. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, could you just please explain? We're just trying to get all this information. And she said, yes, it was summer. Yes, it was hot. But your dad, you could tell your dad knew something was wrong. But he was at peace with what was going on mm. with him. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, he, like we had like little like heater. You know, like you have heaters like in buildings and stuff. Like ours were big enough that like, you could just like sit down or almost like a chair on, or like, like a little, I don't know. Like a bench. Kind yeah, of. Like a bench over it. And he would be sitting down there. He would just be walking. And literally like what was happening is everything that happened with his quadru- quadruple bypass surgery in the 80s all the stuff that was happening was coming undone. Literally, when we got oh, the autopsy wow. back, mm-hmm. it was literally, his body was coming undone. Mm-hmm. And I felt like when my dad died, he died at a church that I was interning at. And I was the one that found him. And I was mad, and I was angry, and I knew he was gone. And now I've had, you know, over a decade to think about it and process it and grieve. And I was in shitty places in my life, and now I'm where I'm at now. But I think my dad knew something was wrong with him. I don't think he knew that he was going to die. But I do think in the back of his head, because I know my dad well enough, because I'm part of my dad, but I do think he knew my kids are, you know, my kids are well. They're adults. I've instilled in them these good things. They know how to be good men. They love God. If... If I'm sick and if this is the end of my life, then it is. And if it's not, then I just had this good epiphany. Mm. And then he died. You know, he had a massive heart attack. And, you know, when we got the autopsy back, it was a heart attack, coronary, coronary artery dysfunction or whatever, all these things. So literally I looked at my mom and I said, everything that dad got fixed back when he had quadruple bypass surgery is what came back and killed him. So and then I almost bring that back. It's like his body, anything that humans will do to fix and prolong life, your body's eventually going to turn on it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. That's what happened. My dad Was my dad supposed to die in 1988? Maybe. I'm glad he didn't. But that's what ended up killing him in the long run. Hmm. I know that's long-winded, no, but yeah. that's just my story. So. Yeah, it's very personal. Anybody want to add to anything, or should we turn it over to Kayleen? It's kind of heavy. It's kind of yeah, a heavy it's, conversation. It's heavy. Yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna go. We're 50 minutes in. <laughs> and then I do have a question that's a little bit tangential. We, we, need a, we need to have some laughter going on. Yeah, I'm trying to... <laughs> that was heavy, though, bro. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I feel like an asshole. For us. But do you guys know those funerals? I'm always, I know. I'm always in this place. <laughs> being an asshole, Caitlin. I'm just kidding. Uh, you, you want it. You want it. Um, you guys know those funerals where they're like, everyone's like, we're, it's not a funeral. We're celebrating the life of this person. Is that real? Or are they just putting on, like, is everyone just like putting on a mask and being like, we're happy. We're, we're really happy. No, my I promise. dad asked for that. Like, but was everyone there, like, genuinely stoked? Or, like, no, were they just no. burying their grief? I feel like it's almost more... 
you see it more if they're more religious of a person of like yeah. celebrate because you know especially if the person was sick or had a health issue celebrate mm-hmm. because there's the no longer over. suffering their suffering is over mm-hmm. you know they're with god they're not in pain mm-hmm. you know whatever the reason so i mean I don't think it's something that people come skipping through the doors and be like, right. well, hallelujah, I'm this just person's I'm dead. Yeah, to right. be here. It just seems such a weird a dynamic. Like, I get the idea, yeah. oh, there was God now. Like, if I were fully convinced that that's what happened, then I'd probably be genuinely happy about it. But, like, I've never been to heaven. I don't yeah. know. Like, and it I just, no one does. It and just I seems like a weird thing. And I think when people say, like, a celebration of their life... I think some people use that as a way of coping with the grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily pushing away or postponing your grief, but coping with it. Like, there's been... I mean, I've probably, in my life, been into, you know, been to over a dozen funerals, whether it's for, some, like, a great-grandparent, someone who died just of old age, whether it was, you know... Someone that died of a drug overdose, you know, of suicide, of, you know, whatever the cause is. And whenever they have, especially for, like, close family members, whenever they have... Some people call it, like, the visitation or the wake, like, the day before. A lot of times, you know, they'll, the minister, whoever is facilitating it, will ask, you know, does anyone have any stories you want to tell? You know, maybe it's a story that a lot of other people might not know about that person just a way of remembering that person and honoring that person you know i think but when people say like a celebration of life yeah i think a lot of it might be if it's you know if they're more religious of like oh well they're they're no longer suffering they're with god they're like in a better place type thing but you know just just really remembering that person because you can't just keep thinking through your life oh my gosh this person is dead you know I don't know if I'll ever you know see them again you know like after I die I don't know what's going on I'm left with this big hole in my heart and I don't know what to do you can't function like that a person has to you know find some way not to get over what happened because you should I'm that's again something you should never tell anyone, you know, right. to get over oh, yeah. something like that. Whether it was, you know, a week ago or whether it was fifty years ago, you know, you just don't say it. But you know, I think just just remembering, you know, the people and you know, kinda of looking back at and not thinking or not getting past I'm not gonna have them in my future mm. but remembering remembering how they played a part in your past and bringing that into your future. So maybe you do something that the two of you used to do together. You tell your kids stories about their grandparents or, you know, you find different ways to bring them into your future without living in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think at that point you're suppressing the grief or is that part of the grief? It sounds like you're saying maybe it's part of the grieving. Yeah, I we're talking about like the the whole concept of what you were of, saying. The, yeah, the, of, like, the celebration, celebration, of the celebration. Of life. Yeah. I don't. I feel like it, I mean it's probably different for everyone. Like, I don't know. I feel like in a way it's a little bit of both because when you have someone, you know, that passes. I mean, like in our 
you know, in our culture, it's usually within what, like three, four days or however Mm. long or within like within that week after someone passes that you have the funeral and everything. Mm. So it actually moves, you know, fairly quick. But, you know, when someone passes, you have, you know, your friends and family are all there. You know, you're kept busy with, you know, making all the preparations. You have the service. You you have like you have, you know, all the tears. You may get to a point where. You're sitting around with family and friends, and you're crying because you're laughing so hard mm. of a funny story of a time yeah, your dad embarrassed you like yeah. crazy or, you know, did whatever. And I think that's a way of helping helping deal with it, but I don't know. I feel like for me, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of postponing the grief because you have all of that going on, and you have this close support system so close to you you know that you know if you were to just like break down there's probably someone not more than 10 feet from you you know at all times you always have someone there but then like we said you have to go back to work everyone goes home you have to do things you know just like normal and move on with your life but your life isn't normal and you know people could react to that different ways you know I think with my dad, I reacted to that as, you know, like, angry, like, like, how is this supposed to be normal? How, how am I supposed to go back to this, to my normal life when my life isn't normal anymore? This is something completely different. It's like you have this big, like, thousand piece, like, puzzle piece, and you're like, okay, I'm almost done with the puzzle. I see the big picture. I kind of see where I'm getting it. I'm kind of seeing where I'm going. And someone comes and just knocks it, half of it off the table, and you have random chunks missing all over. And you don't know what you're looking at anymore, but you're supposed to know what you're doing. And, and you just don't know, like, what's going on and, you know, how to get through the next day. And so, I mean, I felt like for me, part of that like celebration of life was you know in some ways like postponing because anytime you start to feel sad you could just try to think like what is it peter pan like think happy thoughts you know Mm -hmm. just kind of keep that in your mind but you know there's times that you have to you can be surrounded by your loved ones but no matter how surrounded you are by them you're always going to be alone with your thoughts mm. and you know that that grieving process whether it's postponing grief or not is different yeah. for everyone and mm. again there's no right or wrong way as long as you are not completely postponing postponing it as long as you are practicing that good self-care mm. and remembering yes this person is gone but i'm still here I still have people in my life who love me and who depend on me and care about me. And with them, their help, I have to figure out how to keep going. Mm. The person might not get to that point for years, but that's okay. Well, I think what you said, and I just want to hit on this, and then I don't want to steal Kayleen's thunder. Um, But what you said just hit me. Could you say it again, like that last little part of what you said? Can you just like just how you ended it? Just um, like kind of coping. Yeah, just like the whole coping part. Because I want to say it, say it right. Um, going off that. I'm trying to just word or condense to kind of figure out where you were going. 
Are you talking about like? Can you feed me a few more words? Of like- well, just like how you were saying, is like the, the like what Caleb was saying, like the coping on on just because it's right for you doesn't mean it's. Not- oh yeah, yeah. Just because a certain way of coping with grief is right for you doesn't mean it's right for someone else. And I'll just add another part too. I feel like you've said for you, Brian. You know, if I can share this, that. You know, you once you kind of have to get back to your everyday life, you kind of like to be going back into your routine because, you know, it's constant, you know, it's familiar and, you know, kind of like keeping busy where you're not just completely alone with your thoughts, if that makes sense. Like and like for me, you know, I'm different, different in that way where, you know, it's like, no, I just want to be alone with my thoughts. But um but yeah, you can be surrounded by all of your loved ones, have that, you know, support system as long as you're practicing that self-care and dealing with your grief however it works for you. Mm-hmm. But you can be surrounded by you know, a whole a whole handful of, you know, your loved ones, but you're still going to be alone with your thoughts and you need to learn how to deal with that. You know, whether whether that initial grieving process you know, happens within a week, couple weeks, six months, or, you know, maybe it takes you 20 years, you know, to get to that point. And there's no, there's no right or wrong way to it. I mean, you can't tell someone, you know, how to grieve and how to feel because, you know, like Brian and I have both lost our dads. I can't tell him, well, you should feel this way because I know what it's like to lose a dad. You should be celebrating or you should be crying or you should be... Because we're two different people, yeah. we had different relationships with our father. His father died from a heart attack. Mine was was a car accident, so it was something where there wasn't like the health issues or you know anything you know that we like foresaw. Like it, you know, it just happened. So each circumstance is different. So, like for that example, I can't tell Brian, you know, how to grieve, or now that we have a child, how to you know, process, you know, certain things with him being a father now, um, just like he can't say, well, you should, you know, you should respond this way or that way, you know, mm-hmm. with with still grieving and going through the loss, you know, of your father, you know, seven and a half, almost eight years now, because, because each person is different and you need to respect that person. And, you know, as, you know, Kayleen will probably get to of, certain things that you should say or shouldn't say and I'm sure all of us and everyone listening who has lost someone whether it was a parent sibling spouse or whether it was you know your dog or goldfish it doesn't matter like I feel like someone will always say something well-meaning and obviously not comparing you know losing your goldfish to losing you know like a parent or something but I'm sure everyone has said something that was well-meaning to comfort a person, but it did not come out that way. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, Kayleen, let's, if you yeah. want to speak for a couple minutes before sure. we do our recommendations, just... We don't got to rush. Just talk about grief, talk about well, a story or two, maybe, or okay. just if you want to just talk about what you encountered as someone doing pastoral care to people, seeing people at end of life Mm -hmm. um, situations, and then maybe give 
maybe some positive resources or okay. practices that someone could do. Sure. I'll just end it on yeah. that. Okay, well, um, obviously I've had a lot of experience with grief, and like we've been talking about, grief is a process. It is not something that is all done in, like, two seconds. It's a lifelong thing. So, like, Amanda, what you were saying with the bruise, I think that's a perfect mm -hmm. example. You will hear something that will remind you of somebody that you were close with, and all of a sudden it's like you're right there in the midst of whatever you were feeling or thinking or experiencing when that person died. And if you don't deal with the grief from one death and somebody else dies, it's going to bring all the grief from that other death mm -hmm. with you. Oh, wow, yeah. And so you're going to have the grief from this new thing and then the old stuff. And and we don't always take the time to, to deal with our grief. And it, it just kind of keeps compiling sometimes for people, especially for people who have had lots and lots of losses in their life and haven't really been able to work through that. Which is why for some people, support groups are a really great thing. <laughs> Other people, not so much. Just depends on where you're at and how much you want to be sharing or not sharing. Um, other things that I've noticed... Um, trying to think of some of the great grief books that I read in, when I was in when I was doing my residency. I'll have to look some stuff up. But, um, you know, the, we want our loved ones to live. And I, I'm thinking of this story of a family who their dad, like, they promised him that he wouldn't die. And he was literally, oh. like, bleeding out. Oh, God. Literally, like, went through his entire body of blood that day. Mm. I walked in that room, and there was blood everywhere. Oh. And I was like, hold your God. What happened? Mm. Like he, there was, he had a stint, and it was leaking, and it was Jesus. bad. And I spent the whole day with the family and comforting them and comforting the staff. And I came to the place where all three of the doctors that were on that day said to the family, he is not going to make it. Oh, there is nothing mm. we can do. And they had such a hard time with that because they had promised him that so, they weren't going to let him die. So the, 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 I don't mean to interrupt. The, the doctors promised him that he No, was the family. The family did. The family had promised, promised him that he was not going to die. They promised him that they would do was everything. Was that a faith-based proclamation? I think I think it was a it was, so it was a it I don't was a I don't want to lose you yeah, proclamation. We're holding on. Okay. We're going to hold on. Okay, so they're just being hopeful. They're being hopeful. Okay, I see. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. No, it's okay. It's good to ask clarifying questions because they they were just really hopeful. More maybe it wasn't a really hope thing. It was a I don't want to let go of this person sure. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a difficult thing for everybody all around staff and for the family. And you know I tried to do my best to be there for both, but. It was, a, it was a very hard day, and, you know, it was kind of interesting. And then there are other times when you get called at 1 o'clock in the morning because a little baby, you know, because a 2-year-old got meningitis, and it went to his brain, and he was fine the day before, and now he's in the ICU, and he's brain dead. Oh, God. And you're with the mom, and she's crying about how she doesn't want her kid to die, and now she's scared that he's, you know, that he's going to be scared. Of course he's going to be scared, but he's not there, you know, but we don't, mm -hmm. but when people are brain dead, we don't know. Honestly, we don't know mm -hmm. what they can hear, what they can't hear, what, what's going on, what's not going on. So usually in those times, I just tell people to talk to them anyways, but you know, those are difficult things. And 
all I could do was say, I'm going to be here and I'm going to listen and I'm going to have her talk to me about her kid or whatever I think is, you know, the most important thing in my stupor of only having been asleep for an hour and a half at that point because <laughs> mm. I got paged at one thirty in the morning. But, you know, like... Pastor life. Pastor life. I know, seriously. <laughs> so, So, I mean, what you say in those times, it, it's a big deal. And for me, I would just approach it and I would read the situation and I would say, what's going on with this family? How are they responding? And then try to, you know, go with whatever was going on in a way that made sense to what was going on with the family. Because stuff happens at the end of life. Seriously, shit hits the fan. Mm. People come out, they have fights, they scream at each other. I had to break up fights. Like, I mean, there were <laughs> there were times when I was, like, literally terrified for my life. Mm. Especially when shootings were happening. That was scary. Oh yeah, when, when, when shootings would, would come in, those were bad. Because sometimes they didn't know what was going on, or car accidents, or if you're ministering to the family that's going to get the heart from one kid, and you have to pay attention to how you're responding. I mean, it's, it's can be really complicated. And, you know, sometimes the families find out about it anyways, even though they're not supposed to. And then that can create (laughs) controversy. So, um, just being really aware of what you bring to the table, being aware of your presence. What does your presence bring? What is your relationship like with this person? What, are all of the racial relationships like with the other people that are in the room? Because it's all about trying to figure that out. You know, like the family where both parents died on the same nights. Mm-hmm. Mostly, <laughs> it's actually a, an interesting story because he he couldn't handle his wife dying and she was in the hospice and he couldn't handle her dying and something happened and he went first. And then oh, the story wow. is that he just picked her soul up along the way. And they, you know, because he died and she died not that long. I think it was maybe like 15, 20 minutes after he oh, died. Gosh. She died. And the, so the kids were like, he just picked up her soul along the way. And, you know, and I, so I said prayers for both of them, mm. even though he died in a totally different place. But they wanted that. And, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of amazing things that can happen where people can come together and and find you know new relationships or maybe mend some old fences I you know brought people back together had apologies where people you know (laughs) started talking to each other again or whatever or it can be the opposite (laughs) where things just get pulled apart and they never get back together Mm -hmm. so um, I don't know I think that that's something to pay attention to and paying attention to how grief affects you because um it does impact you mm-hmm. and you will cry and that's okay yeah. sometimes that's a really important thing although there were times when i made a decision that i'm not going to cry i made a conscious i'm going to not do this right now because i need to be this person for this family mm-hmm. right now i cannot mm-hmm. do this mm-hmm. but when babies were dying oh, God. that was hard and that was what I got called in for on a, on a pretty regular basis. So when that happens, you have to pay attention. Mm. Don't don't grieve the way I did. We do say that. <laughs> well, we do say that grieving is fine on every way you do it. And I mean, I've even went to my doctor 
and they said, yeah, you shouldn't have did that as much. But And more or less what I'm saying is I was a functioning alcoholic for like a year, and I can drink now and not get addicted. I don't have to... I don't have to have alcohol every day. Mm-hmm. I like to drink beer or, you know, shots like we did. And our, people who listen to our podcast know we, we like drinking. But when my dad passed away, I didn't really know. And, I mean, I was 21, almost 22. So, of course, like most 21-year-olds, you, you're just into partying and drinking anyway. Yeah, that's awful young. But I was very... My, my grief was I don't want to be in the present to see and to understand and to emotionally deal with it. So by getting drunk and like, so there was at least a good year, year and a half where I just, that's like a blur. I mean, I can Mm. remember part parts of it, but it was a blur. So I know Mm. when we do say grieving, looking in hindsight, that wasn't a positive way to grieve, but I'm not going to say if someone does lose a loved one that there's going to be some nights they want to go out and get sloshed. Well, that's fine as long as you're safe. You know, don't drive and, you know, get an Uber or have a friend pick you up or something. But, yeah, I think grieving is different for... There's over 7 billion people in the world, and I think there's 7 billion ways Mm. for people to grieve. Yeah, Yeah, no, it is. And It is definitely true. Yeah. For sure. Do you have any? Do you have any like resources off the top of your head that you could? That's why I'm going back and looking at my Amazon orders from the past to see <laughs> if I could um, remember some of the books. And even when you find them, too, um, I could when we put those. out this episode, yeah. we can we could probably tweet those resources too. So that way yeah. we could do that. So I was gonna, have those. I yeah. was gonna say for my for my recommendation, I was gonna ask you to. To plug your uh, your Facebook or Twitter, you're just on Facebook, aren't you? Are you mm-hmm. not on Twitter or? No, I don't do Twitter. Okay, I'm, so I'm, follow Kayleen I'm on old. Facebook. I'm old. At it's K A Y L E E N. Yeah. Is that right? mm-hmm. What's your last name? Peterson with a D. Peterson with a D. I'd say honestly, you're as far as grief goes. If there's anyone out there grieving, or dealing, I mean, you are of the four of us in this room, which isn't a huge sample size, but you're absolutely the person with the most 25% experience. 25% of the population. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 20 Good math. Yes. Math Way to do math. I'm so proud That's of you. what I'm here for. Yes. I know. I'm so proud of you. But yes, I'm the, I am the person who does yeah. um, deal. I've learned a lot just from listening to you mm-hmm. talking in this past hour here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that you yeah. did because I don't think that people, I think the most important thing to remember is that if you don't deal with previous grief, a new grief will come Mm -hmm. and you will not be, and it will impact how you respond to the next grief. And it's like a layered thing. And if you haven't dealt with Mm -hmm. the previous one, then you're, it's going to be harder to deal with the new one or all of the feelings. So like the more you bury your feelings and the more you Mm -hmm. don't process and the more you don't deal with it, or if you deal with it in a way that's destructive. That's destructive. Mm-hmm. Not to you know, not to call anybody out on destructive things because I think that sometimes things can, good things can come out of those destructions. Sometimes, not always, but right, right. but you know, I think we can learn from all of the mm-hmm. things that happen. Mm-hmm. 
I don't necessarily agree with like going out and getting sloshed every night. That's not necessarily. No, no. I'm not every advocating. now and then maybe we're recommending it. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not advocating that, that as yeah. a way of as a way for you know dealing with that. But I think that um, yeah, I think that that's important. So you know, we we just go with what we can and move on from there. But I I don't I I'll find some stuff. I didn't well, we can always prepared with that. Tweet stuff out later. Mm-hmm. I can yeah, I will yeah, this won't drop like immediately like we'll have a few days. Um, <laughs> we're at about I'll text and then you guys can tweet it about easy. I'm not joining no, we got that. Easy. I'm not twi- I'm not joining Twitter. I don't You're care. not tweeting. I'm not tweeting. <laughs> I don't care. You're not Twittering. I'm not Twittering, no I'm it's not tweeting. But I know I know I know I said the right thing. I said the right thing the first No, she said it right. We corrected her incorrectly and then I know that was unfair. That was unfair. It sounds like I'm really old, even though I kind of am but we need to wrap up with our recommendations because we have some strawberry rhubarb pie waiting for us. So everyone be jealous. To us, be jealous, because I don't know if that's a worldly thing. But here, <laughs> no, like world meaning like people God's eat like, it around like the world. Of this world. Oh, okay. No, I thought you were talking like, like around the world. I don't know Ultra if it's mean. sinful. Hey, we're not always religious. Caleb. I misunderstood. Always, um, I was in that mindset because we have people in Mexico and one person in Finland, and I don't know if they eat strawberry rhubarb in Australia. Um, but that's a huge thing in the Midwest, a strawberry rhubarb mm-hmm. pie. It's a true story. But um, this was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. It was very good. Um, yeah. Tweet at us if you want. Um, sacred underscore MN. Um, I'm on there as at Rogue Theologian. And you'll probably, my picture is me sitting like a side profile on a chair. A man is on Twitter. I'm going to look up my Twitter handle really quick. I think it's Amanda Otland. I think so. I'm trying to remember if there's an underscore or anything, but um, Can I'll you, pull up peer here pressure, in a second. You should just get a Twitter and just tweet. We're going to make you a Twitter, and you won't even okay, know Okay, so my Twitter is just at Amanda Odland, Odland, A-A-D-L-A-N-D. And uh, it's a funny picture. It's me holding out my cheeks oh, because yeah. one of my friends uh, growing up, would always just kind of laugh at that. That's my secret talent that I have very stretchy cheeks. So <laughs> that's what you'll see as my picture. Um, and Caleb, you are on Twitter as? Uh, I'm Air of Grievances. Or actually, at. No, yeah, on Twitter it is. Yeah, I'm thinking Instagram. Air of Grievances, post Christian pods, and blind pilots podcast. If you're offended by anything I ever say, don't don't follow me at Blind Pilots because it's it's very vulgar. So I'll just That's cut, like for the inner layer. I'll just cut that out. No, I won't. You don't edit. I, I do. I edit more than you realize. Amen. <laughs> and my plug is follow Kayleen on Facebook or friend her on Facebook if you're grieving. Because that's a great resource. Or you just need someone to message and, yeah. and say, maybe, maybe I'll do Twitter instead, and then we'll, we'll go with it. It's less way. personal on Twitter. Yeah, maybe we'll go with it. It's only 200 and some characters now. Yeah, well, you can tweet us. You can characters. tweet the Sacred Collective, and we can yeah. get it Hashtag to Kayleen. Kayleen, and we'll get yeah. it to her. Hashtag <laughs> Kayleen. Yeah, that's our hashtag oh, for the night. Oh, hashtag gosh, Kayleen. Kayleen. Yep, wow, it's turned into, whoa. So, recommendations, who wants to start? I'll start. So... I actually have two without knowing. Uh, Brian kind of stole one of mine. But my first recommendation, as Brian mentioned, is the movie Coco. So seriously, doesn't matter how old you are. 
I definitely want to buy the movie. I definitely cry during parts of the movie mm-hmm. because, you know, it's it's just showing of ways how to remember your loved ones and showing, you know, in this example in Mexico, how, you know, they, how they deal with the, not necessarily the grieving, but the remembering, you know, and, and the respect, you know, and of their loved ones and, you know, just kind of like, you know, passing that on to the next generation, whether it be a story, a recipe, you know, a quilt that someone like three generations back made but excellent movie i mean everything about you know like the you know everything about it visual the music everything is just just great so definitely watch it my other recommendation is uh brian and i have been watching this with our daughter lately uh, is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Nice. And so I'm sure nice. most people in the U.S. have either either grew, grew up watching it or mm-hmm. depending how old, you know, different listeners may be, like maybe your kids grew up watching it. But we just stumbled upon it one day, Ava and I on TV, and at almost a year old, she sat on my lap. And watched an entire episode when we watched it on TV. I mean, I can't get her to sit on my lap normally for like 30 seconds unless she's sick or tired or she fell down and hurt herself. But she watched that and she was smiling and she was clapping. Her face lit up. Oh, that's sweet. And so that's another thing. Whether you're just having a bad day, whether you're grieving about the loss of a loved one. It might not even be death. Maybe it's the loss of a friendship or, you know, the loss of something like that. A job. A job, anything mm-hmm. like that. I don't mm-hmm. know if you can find it on any streaming networks or YouTube or anywhere, but watch an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and I guarantee you are going to be feeling you know, better on your outlook, even if it's just for that day on life. You're going to be feeling better about it. I like that. I love that. Because, you know, just... Just how much he, you know, you can really tell how much he really cared about the children, the people participating in the show, the, you know, viewers at home. And so I recommend that, whether it's one of his later episodes or earlier episodes, watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I love that plug. That's great. I don't know if I have anything, I'll be honest. Your future Twitter account? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if any if Kayleen no. looks and finds any any books that she was thinking of recommending, that can be her yeah. later recommendation okay, that I'll we can post on Twitter. Hashtag Kayleen. Oh my gosh. Hashtag Hashtag Sorry. Kayleen Kayleen's Corner. <laughs> oh gosh, what are you guys doing? This is Mr. Rogers spin off. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys Kayleen just like taking off her shoes putting on a Kayleen's cardigan. Corner. It's a beautiful don't day worry, in the worry, neighborhood. No one, no one tweets at us anyway. Yeah. It just makes us sound <laughs> We just sound... sound <laughs> it's all for like, show. Hey, what am I getting yeah. myself into here, people? Do we have a... Tra- no, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I recommend... Life. Brian, what do you got? <laughs> wow. That was quick. I was like, you, you really can't disagree with recommending life. I highly recommend it. It's I great. I highly recommend life. Two thumbs up. Um, I usually recommend like TVs, shows, and movies, stuff like that. So I'm going to keep with that. Um, if anybody knows me, they know I'm like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu junkie. 
Um, I'm really, I love superhero TV shows. I always have. Um, season two of Luke, Luke Cage, Cage came out on Netflix, and I'm binge watching that. And I like that it's actually a superhero character that's, per, you know, predominantly everyone in the show is African American or a person of color. And that's cool just to see, though, that they actually have, like, a story built around that culture. Um, just very good. Marvel has hit it out of the park on Netflix, striking a deal with Netflix to yeah. do all that. Mm-hmm. So it's really good. Um, but there's only two seasons. This is the second season. Um, and the only crappy thing is all 13 come out at the same time. So you just want to keep watching. So watch in yes. moderation. Watch in moderation. It's hard And then to do. the other recommendation I'll say is um, I've been friends with this guy on Twitter. He's local. Um, Mason, I don't know. Your, local to Minneapolis? Your last name. Not um, Finland? Not Finland. <laughs> but he he's... I would say he's an upcoming Bonhoeffer scholar. He writes a lot on Bonhoeffer. But his Twitter is... On point, go go look him up. Um, if you don't know who I'm talking about, go on my Twitter, follow me, and mm-hmm. go to Mason. His tweets are hilarious and also thought provoking. But what I want to uh, recommend is his podcast called Religionless Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't have a, a lot. He maybe has like five or six episodes, but he is interviews interviewed. It's more of an interview-based um, podcast, but he's he, he's interviewed some heavy hitters, Diana Butler Bass for one. Uh, he's interviewed um, Brendan. Um, I think it's Brandon Robertson. I could be wrong. I'm sorry, Mason, if that was wrong. And then he interviewed um, when I listened to Jeffrey Pugh, um, who was now retired, but he taught on Bonhoeffer out at Elon. Um, University, which is affiliated with my denomination, the UCC. Um, just fascinating. It's, it's, it's theological, so it's very theological um, in nature. So if you're more theologically minded, I would follow him um, in that. Yes. And if you... It's Mason. Um, I don't... I don't know how to say your last name. Um, if, you, if I hack it up, I apologize. But Mason Meninga... Um, so follow him on Twitter. A spell lot of you have. Okay, so his last name is M E N N E N G A. Um, he's doing a lot of cool stuff. So follow his Twitter. Um, a lot of us who are doing this podcasting, just getting into it. It's it's our side hustle. It's it's networking. We all want to help each other out. Spread our message of positivity, hope. All that good stuff. Love. So, Humans. love, yeah, love, humanness, all that. And um, so, listen to his podcast. Listen to ours, which hopefully you already are. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you're hearing the end of this, if episode. you're hearing the end of this, and you probably already listened to it, you well, probably already listened maybe. to it. I don't know. You could just come in at the end. I'm trying to figure out how you could not have listened to the entire. Uh, but yeah, so if you've listened to almost us uh, an hour and a half talking about. Death and grief. This is a downer. It's it, good though. It's well, therapeutic. It's good. It's, it's therapeutic, good. but not everything in life is always fun and yeah, totally fun and games. We no, always yeah. have to deal it's with good. the reality. It's a good one. But I think that's we're going to be out after that. Okay. 
So let's do this. Power of the working class? Because Angela's. I'm going to say what, that. What are we doing? I'm, I'm ending it. We're okay, ending great. it. And I'm going to hit the stop button. Okay, good. A post Christian production.